0: Hello and welcome to Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. So today we're joined by Alex Edmonds who has he's a professor of finance at the London Business School. He's giving a he's given a TED talk with 1.7 million views and he's also spoken at Davos. So today we're going to talk about capitalism and essentially we're going to go why capitalism in crisis, we're going to talk more about what actually is capitalism and essentially we're going to look at how we can change things for the better. So thank you so much for joining us Alex, really appreciate it. So wow, 1.7 million viewers on TED talk, that's amazing. I have actually seen that TED talk and it is brilliant so I recommend anyone um, to view that yourself. So tell us, so why is capitalism in crisis today? Well, first, thanks, Neil, for for inviting me on your
1: show. So why is capitalism in crisis? I think there's two reasons. There's reality and part perception. So let's start with reality. And that's the fact that companies have done really well over the past decade or centuries, actually. So they've created profits for investors and high pay for CEOs. But on the flip side, wider society does not seem to be benefiting. For example, incomes of general workers are stagnant, uh, working conditions might be getting worse because of zero-hours contracts and there's the threat of automation. And also there's the effect on on the environment, so businesses seem to be making profits with scant attention to climate change and carbon emissions. So so that is reality. And so part of it is reality, is part of the crisis of capitalism is indeed well-founded. But why I think part is perception is that sometimes our views can be skewed by things which might not actually be representative, and that was indeed the topic of my TED talk, What to Trust in a Post-Truth World. So what does that mean when applied to capitalism? We might have our view on capitalism skewed by one or two high-profile examples. Um, One example or two examples actually are BHS and Sports Direct. So there were big scandals there and I don't want to trivialise them. What happened at those companies was really serious. So BHS went under, the pensions were underfunded and so many former employees are going to be out of out of financial security. The second was Sports Direct, where they paid below the minimum wage and had Victorian working conditions. But people might extrapolate from those two cases and think that all companies are like that when actually there are many companies that are taking seriously their impact on employees and their impact on society. So that's why I think part of it is perception. And the final uh, point is is that Part of this might be unfair, because people have what I call the pie-splitting mentality. The idea that if companies are making profits, and CEOs are earning high salaries, that's at the expense of other people, i.e. the value that a company creates is given by a pie, so anything that the CEO gets is at the expense of everybody else. And One example of that is Disney. So Bob Iger last year was paid $66 million. People said that's excessive, that's ridiculous. But actually that wasn't at the expense of anybody because the stock price had gone up by 600% over his tenure and actually he'd created 70,000 jobs. So why was he paid so much? Because he'd run a really successful company and so his high pay wasn't mistreating other people but it was a byproduct of actually being a very successful CEO.
0: That's interesting you mentioned Disney, and it's, it's, I always think how the listener at home can of relate to it. And I think Disney is a good comp, good um, good example of a company that everyone knows um, and have probably used their products in the past. So let's explore more about what actually capitalism is. So th- in we did a really. Um, a, a talk, um, a podcast with Linda Yu, and we talked about um, Adam Smith, The Wealth of Nation in the 1750s. Then we moved on to Karl Marx in 1860s, where London was a different place. Kind of Charles Dickens was writing at the same time, and London was quite, um, kind of, the conditions there were pretty horrific at the time, and moving kind of towards the um, 1950s and we talked about Schumpeter and kind of the other kind of capitalist uh, writers at the time so let's maybe explore capitalism a bit more so the examples I can think of because the UK we have kind of a model that is um, we all the listeners could probably well known um, but also also USA which is also has their own model of capitalism then you look at kind of other countries like South Korea Germany and Sweden who they also have would be classed um, kind of capitalist countries, but they might have a different model. So South Korea could, has a kind of a different model than USA. Germany also has a different model. So there's different kind of templates that we can look to to kind of improve. So yeah, so Alex, yes, yeah, so ex- let's explore and tell me more about kind of what actually capitalism is. So, so my definition of capitalism would be
1: the same as enterprise. So capitalism is companies forming, being set up by entrepreneurs, creating new products and those products having a, a great impact on wider society. And so actually under that definition, I think we need more capitalism rather than less capitalism. So capitalism is seen as an evil word and, and if you are a politician and you want to win votes or you're an author, and you want to sell books, you bash capitalism. But I think many of the problems that we see are caused by too little capitalism. And what do I mean by that is that there are some industries where there's just not enough competition. So we don't have enterprise where we have a couple of large incumbents which are able to to dominate the market. And so where governments need to change is to encourage the formation of of small businesses so we get more capitalism and more enterprise. And also, how are some companies making money is through what I'd say anti-capitalist means. And this is going back to the pie-splitting mentality if you view the value that you create as being a fixed buy, then the only way that you can increase profit for investors is by reducing everybody else's slice. So one prominent and maybe extreme example is Martin Shkreli of Turing Pharmaceuticals. He famously in the US uh, bought a drug and then increased the price by 5,500%. So he increases profits by taking from the customer. But I don't think that is capitalism because that's not about innovation and enterprise, that's about holding a market p- position and then just exploiting your market position rather than uh, inventing new products, which is what we want to encourage. And and there's a, a good recent book called The Great Reversal by Thomas Philippon, a uh, professor at NYU CERN, uh, highlighting how America seems to have given up on, on free markets, so what led to America being successful for a long period was this enterprise and this competition and this capitalism and it's moved against that uh, by um, lax antitrust which allows these large giant firms to exploit monopoly
0: positions that's yeah interesting that's so so valid today so as a I'm a small business owner myself and I I agree with you that capitalism is good and it can get a bad rep and enterprise products and innovation i think innovation is key how we can essentially look to improve things for the better for, for me personally, I would think how we measure it is kind of the most important thing. Um, I'm a big fan of Peter Drucker and he says, one of his quotes is, um, what gets measured gets managed. So looking at essentially how we measure it and what, looking at what, what, is, what makes a successful business or how essentially we can measure what is a, su- a successful business and to, to benchmark what is working and what is not. So potentially... Yeah, what, what measurements can we use to test if a company's been successful or a company hasn't been successful? Yeah, so I
1: think measurement is important and I think um, th- there are measures that we can come up with which give us uh, some gauge as to whether we're successful in serving society. And I think what's important to note is those measures need to be tailored for a particular company's context. For example, um, there's Doddler Dairy, and, and their goal is to um, provide uh, smallholder dairy farmers with an increase in income. So what they do is they, they actually track the income uplift for the dairy farmers. If you contrast that with Trainline, so that's where you can book train tickets and that's an online platform, there they view one of the challenges as being the representation of women in coding and programming. So what they'll try to track is the percentage of of females in those, those coding jobs. So a company needs to think about, well, what its purpose is, what is the way in which it's serving society and try to ensure that the metrics that it has are closely aligned to uh, that purpose. And uh, what I want to stress is that shouldn't be one size fits all, it's tailored. However, I would disagree with Drucker um, in in part in that sometimes there's really important things that cannot be measured. Is that even if we move beyond financial measures to other qualitative measures, more things like the percentage of of women in the coding jobs, there are certain aspects of your contribution to society that, that can't be measured, for example, what is the quantitative measure of the extent to which you're viewing your workers as, as, as humans rather than um, just a means to execute uh, instructions or what is the extent to which you're involving them in decisions and uh, making um, a, and uh, y- you are communicating with them or let's look at your podcast so one measure of the success of the podcast could well be the number of people who listen to you but the number of listeners not may not always be consistent with the quality of of the podcast for example if you want to reduce release a YouTube video, maybe a clickbait is going to get more um, views than something which is thoughtful. So if we are just to focus purely on the measures, then it could be that we focus on those measures at the extent of intangible measures of quality. Um, So I will respond to Drucker with uh, Goodhart's Law from Charles Goodhart, which is when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to become a good measure because you manage to that measure. And and we already know that with financial measures, which is why we want want to move away from quarterly earnings, but actually even non-financial measures, which could be set up with good intentions, can be um, manipulated and lead to actually the company not creating value.
0: That's super interesting. And I I agree with you that measures, um, measurements how it's, it's so difficult to actually measure something. Say GDP, for instance, I mean, a tr- a hum- the humble tree, like how how do you measure a, hum- a humble tree? So f- f- by that I mean that um, if you look at hospitals and there, there were studies done, that having a tree or being in surrounded by nature actually improves people's how quickly they they get better. But actually, hard facts measure you couldn't you can't measure that it's intangible. So to move to move on for that, it's actually quite yeah it's quite difficult to measure. How how do you measure something? How do you measure how- a company doing well or a company doing badly, it's um, yeah. But I, I, I don't. But there must be something better than GDP. I, I, I just think that. I mean, I guess that's where we come to guys like yourself, Alex, to think of something better. I, what there must be any? There must be something. What are people looking at today? What would you suggest? Or do you think GDP is working? Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. Tell me more about that. Well, we're talking a little bit at cross purposes because
1: GDP is a measure of a country's um, yeah. productivity. What we were talking about is, is companies. So, so GDP doesn't apply to companies. But
0: you mentioned quarterly earnings. That's, that's also that's using GDP as well, isn't it? Or maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. No,
1: no GDP is, is that's the gross domestic product of, of an economy. Quarterly earnings is the profits that a company has made in, in 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 three months. Okay, so so let's go with
0: quarterly, sorry, continue.
1: Yeah, so what we can do is is rather than just companies um, tracking something like quarterly earnings, they can also track non-financial measures, and this could be the percentage of women at the workforce, or it could be their carbon emissions, or it could be um, the pay ratio between the CEO and average workers. But again, even though I do think we need to have a broader set of measures than purely financials, again, I wouldn't rely too much on non-financial measures as well because, again, they can be manipulated. So one way to improve the ratio of CEO pay to worker pay is you fire the low-paid workers and that will increase the the average salary. So I think what we need to do is we want to move um, beyond uh, non-financial measures to just qualitative dimensions. And I, I think one... Um good example of this is when you hire a person, yeah. well, you can look at the CV. The CV could have some quantitative stuff such as your um, your A-levels or what degree you got at university. Yeah. And it might have some qualitative stuff. It could have stuff like, oh, I was um, part of the England athletics team and some of the other stuff yeah. like that. But we don't just rely on a CV, we interview somebody. yeah. And I think we need to have that same approach with, with companies. So if you're an investor and you want to decide, um, do I want to invest in this company? What investors do do is they look at not just the financial report and not just the sustainability report about the other non-financial things that they're doing, but they will speak to management. Yeah. And, and some of them might ask the following question, such as, well, how are your people? What are you doing in order to address the concerns of your people? Yeah. And some CEOs might reply, they might explain what they're doing. Others might say, oh, I didn't know that you were gonna ask me about my people. Um, I will bring along the HR director the next time. And that's really telling, is that which of the CEOs who actually truly care about the people that they're able to answer the question themselves and which are the ones which need to bring along their HR director. And so this is why just like we still interview people for jobs we, um, in order to evaluate companies, want to engage in discussions with senior management because that's when you can truly find out which are the CEOs who who care about this and which are those who can just say nice things in a report.
0: That's, yeah, thank you for that. That makes a lot of sense to me. So, and it's interesting you mentioned about investors. So, what I think is exciting at the moment is that actually, so if the person listening at home has, if you if you work for a company, you've you've now become an investor. So, there was a um, legislation in two thousand and fifteen where, so if it's called auto enrolment, so if you work at a job, you're auto enrolled into a pension, which basically means that um, your company will invest on your behalf for your pension for when you retire, and that means that so the pound coin in your back pocket, you now have the choice. Of Of choosing who you're investing you you can actually say no I don't want to if there's a company that does bad you can actually say well actually no I prefer to invest in someone else so essentially the power has gone back to the people that has um, can choose what to invest in and I think long term the companies that will do well are the ones that look after their their investors that look after their stakeholders look after their employees rather than companies that tend to neglect these people and look after purely profits um, so that, that's my that's just my opinion but um... and I think that's not just an opinion what what you say is actually true it's backed up by evidence so a lot of the
1: work that I'm trying to do is to show that those non-financial considerations are actually financial financial material so you're entirely spot-on so if you are somebody with a pension fund you might think well why do I need to bother in assessing whether a company is treating its work as well or um, being a good steward to the environment shouldn't I just put my money in stuff which is going to generate me higher financial returns for retirement but what um, my work and work of other academics has done is to show that in the long term profit and purpose are intertwined for example companies that treat their work as well it's not that they're donating profits they're, they're donating wages at the expense of profits in fact they're beating their peers in the long term because companies with more engaged workforces they're more productive and more profitable so it does make sense for for you as an investors to evaluate companies not just on the quarterly earnings that we discussed earlier but are are they actually creating value for stakeholders? Because any value that you create for stakeholders in the long term then feeds back into shareholders and your own pension pot.
0: Okay, that's amazing. That's so we've talked about a lot. So why capitalism is in crisis? We've looked at essentially what is capitalism. Um, Alex mentioned um, well, enterprise innovation, and we also talked about income stagnation, automation, environment, and yeah, how essentially um, the free market and yeah, I looked at different measures and if it's actually qualitative and quantitative. So yeah, we've covered quite a lot in this um, this podcast. So Alex, thank you so much. This is one of two podcasts. So we're gonna talk, you've got a book coming out. Um, so we, the next podcast, we're gonna talk about your new book, Grow the Pie, how great companies can deliver both purpose and profit in the next podcast. So for, the, um, for this podcast, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. We are going to, so please um, like, please subscribe, and please tell one person about this podcast. And yeah, join us for the next podcast with Alex Edmonds. Thank you. Thanks very much, Neil.